Patreon.com backslash sit down Zumok for bonus content. The episode one week early giveaways. You can sign up for as little as $3 a month. That's just $3 a month to support a comedian in 2021. Patreon.com backslash sit down Zumok. This episode of The Bad Guys, Volume 6, is brought to you by SilkCityHotSauce.com. Have you got Z-Man's Mango Madness, Florida's Greatest Tropical Sauce yet? Have you gotten it? What are you waiting for? Go to SilkCityHotSauce.com, put in the promo code ZUMOC, all capital letters, and you get Z-Man's Mango Madness, plus a free bottle of Cherry Ciroc and some stickers. What are you waiting for? SilkCityHotSauce.com. This episode of The Bad Guys, Volume 6, is with the first NHL American-born African-American player, Val James. He joins Earl Skankel, Chad Zumach, for a great discussion about his time coming up in the South and working his way to the NHL. Even if you don't like hockey, you're going to enjoy this episode. And if you can, go to inappropriateearl.com, hit subscribe, and sitdownzumok.com, and leave a five-star review. But for now, enjoy this episode. That's a wrap. It's the bad guys with Earl Skankel and Chad Zumok. He turns to me, and he says, Why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? Sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? Right, in association with Inappropriate Earl and the sit-down Zumok, we bring you the Bad Guys Volume 5. With me, as always, is Earl Skakel, the great Earl Skakel, where you can watch his new cartoon, The Jellies, on HBO Max. But Earl, would you like to introduce today's guest? I would, and uh, I'm going to try and not cry during this interview because his story has affected me so much. Uh, you know, Willie O'Ree? Great hockey player, uh, the Jackie Robinson of uh, African-American players in the NHL. But I think a man who is just as important is the great Val James, who was the first U.S. born uh, African-American player. So it's an honor, Mr. James, to have you in the house. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. And thank you, Earl. It's been a long time since the last time we talked. Yes, and it, I will get the plug out of the way now. Everyone, please buy the book Black Ice, written by my friend John Gallagher. It, it's an amazing story because I don't think people appreciate what you went through, uh, especially younger fans who grew up watching maybe Jerome McGinley, Donald Brashear, uh, George LaRock, Anson Carter, it was a lot more pal palpable to be an African-American player. 
but you did it in the mid eighties when uh, racism was pretty high. Yes, I did. It was, uh, it was quite a, an ordeal and an adventure, I would say. It was one that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world uh, because it did get me to where I am today. And I know that you've done quite a bit over the last few years to get me recognized. And I want to thank you first off. Oh, I mean, the honor is really all mine and Chad's, uh, you know, because I think especially given the role you served in hockey primarily was the tough guy. Uh, I don't like saying the word goon. I, I think it's a little uh, distant. The enforcer, tough guy uh, to be a, one of the very few black players in the game at that time, frankly, beating up the other team's most likely white player, I think was even tougher than what Willie O'Ree had to go through. Well, the thing was that, uh, being the first black player and playing in a sport that was predominantly white. Uh, it was one of those things that when I did fight with someone that was white, that would start the controversy because uh, people didn't have too much to say. And that was the only thing they could do to pick at me and hopefully throw me off my game. Now uh, I know you uh, will we'll separate this now goon and enforcer goon is someone who goes out and intentionally tries to hurt someone uh, it doesn't matter what it is, stick to the face, stick to the groins, anywhere they can hurt you, they will try, uh, knee to knee. Uh, an enforcer is the, the guy that goes out and makes sure that the goon does not get out of hand. Okay, for those of you that are listening that, that don't know the difference and think they are the same, that's how that is. <laughs> I want to know, because I'm currently in Tampa, Florida, I just moved from Los Angeles to Tampa. You were originally born in Florida. Yes. How does somebody in Florida like <laughs> pursue hockey. Like <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, well, it goes back to my, my parents uh, moved from Florida when I was three years old. Okay. So they're Floridians just as I am. I was born in Florida. The, the rest of them, the kids were born in New York and there was five others besides myself. And uh, my dad moved to New York to try and make a better life for the family. And also to get, get away from all the racism that was happening down South at the time. Now we're talking 1960. And, you know, things were starting to erupt. People were asking for better rights for blacks, just blacks at that point in time. And uh, things were getting kind of crazy because uh, the people just did not want to let their slaves go or their workers go. However you want to look at it, people were not willing to give that up. So we had, we had to get out of there. And, and we went to New York, as I said, Long Island. And... Uh, we started out on a potato and horse farm. My dad was uh, was the foreman and overseer of the farm. So the migrant workers would come up in the summer and uh, he would get all the fields and all that ready before they got the potatoes planted. And that now it was a potato farm and a horse farm. And there was probably about 300 acres of, of, of potatoes. So there was probably at least 60 workers that would come up every year to, to pick the fields. And then uh, they would go back. So we did that from the time when I was probably about, like I said, three, four years old. And we, we got out of that when I was about 12. So I had a few years of learning farming and all that hard back breaking work, supposedly. You know, we had to, to, to get hay that would come in for the horses and also uh, potatoes had to be sorted and, and shipped out. You know, I was kind of young to be doing that at the time, but I was still on the scene watching it happen. So it was... Uh, was one of those enlightening experiences that 
that gave me a good work ethic. Now, you know that on a farm, you work from sun up to sun down. And if something has to get done, you keep working until it gets done. And so that's that was one of those things that stuck with me. You know, if you want to get a job done, you have to you have to stick to it. You have to be persistent and you have to persevere in everything that you're going to try to do. Now, uh, we went from there to Hopog, Long Island, uh, which is in Suffolk County. And um, from there, my dad ended up getting the job at the Long Island Arena. He started out as a night watchman and eventually worked his way up to being uh, in charge of things there, all events. So it was, uh, it was one of those things that he was also like that. He worked his butt off and made sure that uh, he took care of the family and whatever he had to do to take care of the family, he did. So if your dad doesn't get that job at that arena, you might not be putting on some skates. Probably not, you know, because I was I was in the soccer at the time, like like hardcore. I was uh, already being scouted. I was I was a pretty good prospect from what they were saying. I was too young to realize that myself at the time, because most of the talking between colleges or anything like that were done with your parents. And you just went with what, with what your parents said. They said you could go. Or you go. If They said you couldn't. You didn't. And um, funny, I should say that my mom did not want me to go away to play junior hockey in, in Midland, Ontario. And we, we sat down and talked and eventually uh, I decided, you know, I got to go. If I'm going to pursue this, I have to go. And that was at the age of about 16, 15, 16. Uh, it was, it was a very nice uh, adventure. I guess we could call it because the whole thing's been an adventure. It's uh it's one of those things that it just keeps on giving. Even up to this day, there's still things happening that I that I can say that I, I've actually made a difference in, in, in life for people and also for myself. And hopefully some of the things that I've written in the book will show people that with determination, perseverance and execution and hard work that you can get it all done. Now, all of this is can be done if you have a big heart. And, you know, if you don't put your heart into something, you'll never get it done. And that's the, the biggest thing with anything that you do. And and the passion that you put into these things will bear fruit if you stick with it. And people usually will stick with something, stick with something. And just before they're about to make it, they'll decide they want to quit. When they had if they'd waited another six months, it would have been all been theirs. Well, well, thanks for describing my career right there. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Really. Yeah, I think you lost Chad at heart and determination. <laughs> when you said hard work and potato field and all, I was like, whoa, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you work pretty hard in your life. You look like a guy that works hard. Well, folks can be perceiving. Uh, <laughs> Earl, I mean, I, I did so much research on you because Earl is in love with you. Uh, so thanks, Earl. Where's the, where's the candy? It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's a strictly in a professional manner. I, I understand that. Uh, did the start of, uh, you know, because in, in the 80s, hockey, to be honest, was a pretty white sport uh, at all levels. Um, and you played in the Quebec Major Junior League, which uh, some may argue is, is still racist today. Uh, really? Was that the first? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there was a player on the Rangers recently who had some problems with uh, ethnic teammates. Let's just say that. Did you, was that your first uh, introduction into people maybe 
having a problem with you playing a white sport was with the rim parts? And no, my first introduction to that was when I was like 13 years old and we were playing in Michigan and I can remember being on the ice and this guy was calling me the N word. And I, you know, to me, but we've been hanging around with guys of a mixed group for all my life at that point in time. So it didn't really phase me until he came right down to the, to the glass and pointed me out and said, I'm talking to you in. And that was, you know, I was like, wow, it kind of blew me away. And I was co- completely shattered for the whole warm up. You know, the, the guys came over once they heard what this guy was doing and started trying to get him with the sticks and that. But I just said, you know what? It's not worth it. You're going to hit this guy. We're all going to go to jail. <laughs> and so, so, uh, and get thrown out of the tournament as well. So forget about it. We'll, we'll figure it out. And that was from the fans. How much yes. of uh, how much of that type of language did you hear on the ice from other opposing players? In the beginning, a few guys would would try it, but then I tune them up a little bit, and I had no problems. And then once the word got around the league, don't say that. Uh, no one really said anything. Of course, I'm sure they muttered under their breath. But what what good is that? Right. Because you were truly, uh, in my opinion, the heavyweight champ of uh, not only junior hockey at that time, but when you uh, were drafted by the Red Wings and and played in the minors, you know, there was some tough guys, you know, John Cordick, Dave Brown. uh, Mm -hmm. But I'm hearing rumors that Dave Brown was actually afraid of you, which was uh, interesting. No, I don't. I think that might be a bad rumor. Uh, I can remember when we had our fight, Dave was a, a true gentleman and a true warrior. And the thing was that, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the whole story. We, we were out, we were playing Maine Mariners and Maine, and uh, Maine was the affiliate with the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. We were the Rochester Americans who were affiliated with the Buffalo Sabres. And uh, so we were playing in Portland, Maine that night. And I can remember seeing him, seeing him on the side boards, uh, stretching, had the bald head cut and uh, just stared me down the whole warm up. I skated around in it and his eyes never left me. And I'm thinking, man, was this guy in love with me or what? So then finally he <laughs> said, well, that's Dave Brown. He's the new tough guy that just got here. Uh, he's Philadelphia property. Watch out for him. He's uh, kind of, he's really tough. He's been taking a lot of guys out since he got here. And I guess at that point in time, he'd only been in Portland for a month, but he had went around the league and taken on every tough guy in the league and beat them. You know, he was a very, very, fine finesse fighter uh i had uh i had a little bit of a problem but in the end i, I thought that i edged him out it wasn't one of those where you, you beat the guy down it was like we were throwing him pretty good he's a lefty i'm a righty so we both were landing so it was that uh, was one of those when it was over because i it, it started out it was the first period we both got on on the, on the ice together at the end of the period finally <laughs> so now we're out there and He's looking me up and down. I'm looking at him, just wondering if, if he wants to drop the gloves. And all of a sudden, he, he gave the fake like he was going to drop the gloves. I faked him and, and just stood there with my gloves on. So he got a 10-minute. So then uh, after he come out of the box, he comes over and he goes, Val, you know, where we go back on the ice together. And, and I can remember um, Mr. Koharski was the, the ref that night. So yeah, he's pretty funny. He's a great guy. Uh, so... We're standing there and he's jawing me. He says to me, Val, if you're afraid of me, I can understand that because, you know, I've beaten up a lot of guys in this league already. So you, you might be a little leery. And I was like, well, uh, no, that's not it. That's, that has nothing to do with it. I go, so I go, sorry about that early, get, getting to take the 10 minutes. 
So then uh, we looked at each other and, and I said to him, look, why don't we do this? When the puck drops, we'll both throw our sticks and our gloves to the, to the boards so nobody steps on them so there can't be any, any discretion on who's going to win this fight. And I don't want, want someone to step on something and go down because that's not right. So that's so the so Koharski's yelling at us at the same time. You guys, if you start anything, I'm gonna give you 10 minutes, I'm gonna give you a match game, I'm gonna give you a gross misconduct. So you guys won't be playing for at least 10 games. So I turned to uh, Mr. Koharski and I go, Koho, come on, man. I go, he just insulted my honor. I gotta defend myself. I gotta defend my honor. Because you guys drop the gloves, you're done. So needless to say, we dropped the gloves and we had a really good fight. Uh I edged him out a little, and uh, I, I know that I, that I had won that one because he acknowledged it once we got in the box because I hit him pretty good, and by the time he got to the box, he had a black eye, which was one of those things. I was like, wow, that quick? Must have got a good one in there. Like, we're throwing him pretty good. So uh, Koharski comes up to us after. We're sitting in the box, and he goes, that was a great fight. He goes, good thing you guys had a great fight. I'll be throwing you out of the game right now. So he let us stay and we played. And after that, everything was good, right? So, <laughs> and I probably a week later, uh, Dave got called up to the to Philadelphia and never came back. <laughs> well, when you were drafted in 77, like I want to go back real quick before we move forward. I mean, what was your parents' reaction? You know, your father uproading from Florida for a better life you know, from his early beginnings, you know, doing the farming and then you get drafted by the NHL. Like, what are your parents' reaction to that? I mean, that's like a cool thing. Yeah, it was kind of a bittersweet time. My, I, at that point in time, when I did get the contract, my dad had been diagnosed with cancer oh. and it had, it had given him six weeks to live. Right. So it was one of those tough times. Him and I, we I brought the contract to the hospital, showed it to him. We read it together and uh, had to cry together that we had done all that work to get to where we got and finally it it, it bore fruit fruit so we were pretty happy about that it was just that that was kind of a downer and my mom was really happy but she wasn't really into hockey too much she she tolerated it but it wasn't something that she'd turn on the tvs go let's watch the hockey game no it wasn't one of those you know she'd rather watch a football game or a soccer game before she watched the hockey game and the thing was that my dad was a, was a was an excellent athlete himself he was a football player and uh if I hadn't been born, he probably would have been up there in the league playing with, with Jim Brown and that. They were saying, I had never saw it, I, but from the, what I've been hearing from people that had been around then, they were saying that his, his talent was comparable to Jim Brown. And he was a very strong guy. You know, he could carry things. It's like, I'll give you an example. One winter, we had run out of hay, so we had a, a load brought in on the pickup truck. So... On the way out to the barn, it was snowing like crazy. There was probably 12, 15 inches of snow on the ground. Truck gets stuck with the load of hay on it. So the uh, the owner of the farm happened to be there at the time. So he got in the driver's seat. I'm, I'm, I'm looking out the window with all of this going down. And uh, he backs it up and he kind of rock it. And the next thing I know I'm watching, he's got the back end of the truck off the ground with the load of hay in it. Jesus. And I'm like, holy mackerel. So it was one of those things that was just, I was like, wow, 
So then, you know, once you get older, you get a little cocky, you know, you think you can whip your old man's ass and all that kind of stuff. And But I never got to the point where I wanted to actually try it, right? Yeah, so you remember but, when I uh, picked up that truck? Shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much, right? But uh, I, could, I could give you all kinds of stories. Like once he was uh, at the arena, we used to have a concert series that would go through as well. And that was Michael, Michael Paparo Productions. So we every week in the summer, we had, we had a, some type of concert. I, I, you know what? I've seen every known band that you can think of from our era. I've seen all of them. And it was, I, I got to say that that was another part of life that was just wonderful because under any other circumstances, I probably wouldn't have gotten that chance. You know, like, th think about it. Any group you can think of, I've seen. And I've, I've been there for the sheer fact that we had to set up for it. So, you know, obviously... We were the workers of the arena. We were the wrecking crew from the arena. And we, we were free range from the age of 13 to about 19. And we were able to pull it together uh, with the help of my dad being our uh, overseer in that and getting us into it. You know, at first it's a learning experience, but I can remember I used to go to the arena with him when I was 12 years old. I wanted to work so bad. I wanted to go down and help on the ice and put the stage together. Because at one point we were, we were also the home base for the New York Nets in that. So I'm sure you've read all of that as well. So, you know, we had lots of things going. We'd have tractor pulls going, rodeos, circus, concerts, uh, home and garden shows, you know. So there was everything you could think, car shows, everything you could think of, but we, we did. And it was one of those experiences that I would, I would never take that out of my repertoire because it taught me so much. You know, at that point, you learn what it takes to put shows on. You learn how much it costs to put shows on. And you learn how much it costs you if you don't make your time limit. Because it was, I can remember when we, uh, when we got it done, we, we had to have everything done by uh, 11 o'clock. Uh, no, it was 12 the next day. That usually there was a hockey game on a Friday night and the concert would be on Saturday night. So as soon as the hockey game was over, we'd start setting up for the concert. So we'd work right through the night. And um, we get it all done. And I can remember saying to my dad at one time, what happens if we don't get it done? He goes, well, it's going to cost a lot of money. Now, you know, being a kid, how much money? Uh, $100,000 $100, an hour. That's what it would have caught back then. I don't know what it is now. So it was uh, it was one of those things where it taught me a lot about everything. You know, I, I, I saw them, the, learned about the super trooper lights, you know, those ones that are really hot that you stand next to when you get sunburned. So those are pretty nice. I've got to, I got to meet a few guys. I got to meet Burke Cummings, got to meet Alice Cooper. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, it was a good time. It was a real good time. I can remember when Ozzy came on, and that was when he had the Bat Out of Hell tour going, and I had no idea he was going to bite the head off the bat, right? And all of a sudden he did that, and I'm like, "What did he just do? Did he just bite the head off the bat? You know, he did it so quick and threw it away so fast. It was like, uh, oh, okay." But uh, what year was this? Seventy five or something? Or? Oh yeah, way back seventy five. Uh, the concert series that I was involved in when I was working there, it was probably 1973 to about 1976, 77. So you okay, probably saw Zeppelin. I, you probably saw everybody, right? Yes, I saw, I saw Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, um, Rolling Stones, Frampton, um, Crosby, Stills, Nass and Young. Guess who? Um, Jefferson Starship, Jefferson Airplane. Okay, I saw them when they both made a transition. Then Genesis. Uh, then then um, Phil Collins when he when he split up and they became just uh, Phil Collins. So I saw. I can remember seeing Genesis at the rink that summer, and I had to go to Quebec for that winter. 
so I, we saw him there and this and at that point he was they were still uh genesis so when i saw him in quebec city that's when they had just switched the name to phil collins and they had gotten a beautiful light show machine and it was a laser light and it was unbelievable it was like a little r2d2 sitting on the stage and it was just throwing light everywhere it was just it was just amazing and, and both concerts were great so I, I can I can say that I've, I've been in a few places where I shouldn't have been, but uh, it was it was all worth it. It was fun. You're like Forrest Gump. You're in a, all these time situations. <laughs> I know. It's like uh, I'm, I'm kind of wondering. I'm, I'm time warping now. It's like wow. Like I said, it was it, it was one of those times that if anyone could get their children to do something like that, which would be kind of hard today because the kids aren't really into too much hard work, which. Uh, it, which is what uh, our parents wanted us to do. You know, they didn't want us to work as hard as they did, but to make more money. So I guess it's working out. Earl, what was another thing that you loved about his book, Black Ice, which you can get everywhere, right? Audible. Yeah, it's on uh, Amazon and all available uh, places. I don't know where else you get books other than Amazon. Uh, I don't think there's bookstores anymore, but uh, um, it's, 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 it's Amazon. Yeah. It's, it's at it's in Amazon. It's it's in all the uh, the, uh, the the bookstores pretty much, and uh, you can order it online through Amazon and through uh, what's the other one? There's one more. I can't think of right now. But that the, the book was also an ECW Press book, and out of, and the uh, that publishing house is out of Toronto. And uh, I often tell people about the book, even if you don't like hockey, it, it's. Hockey's almost the background uh, to it's it's a book about life uh, and just like like I said what you went through and uh, I had a question for you Val because I know this happens with a lot of uh, players when they go from juniors to the pros and and at some point they go I might have to fight a little bit because I'm not going to score enough at the NHL level was there a point whether it be in juniors or the minors where you thought I might have to fight a little more to stick to the next level. Well, I, I fought quite a bit in juniors, you know, it was, and the thing was that I was also scoring goals, Earl. Uh, <laughs> I think the one season I had 14 or I, I averaged about 30 points a year in juniors. Right. So it wasn't that I couldn't score. It was that they didn't want me to score because they didn't want me to get that feeling of, Oh, I'm a goal scorer now. Cause there goes your enforcer. Right. All of a sudden he's doing things that you don't want him to do. And I've been told at points in my career, you're not supposed to be playing hockey. You're out there to, to intimidate. Do not go out and try and be Wayne Gretzky or, or, or Mario Lemieux. So you have to run with what you have. And I have to say this because a lot of people don't like what they're doing. They think that they're being left out or they think that they're being maltreated. Well, you can't look at it like that. You got to look at it that you're getting an opportunity and make the best of the opportunity that you get. Now, whether you have to fight, crawl, spit, whatever it is, uh, you know, you do it. And then once you get where you're going, at that point in time, you now have the opportunity to make sure that what happened to you doesn't happen to somebody else. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I just meant that, you know, in this era of uh, hockey, fighting was used as a, a strategy uh you know yeah it was. if you look at you know, um the flyers obviously became famous for their two cups and then you know the islanders when they got clark gillies to kind of counteract mm -hmm. you know uh yeah you, you know that, clark was um, counteracting mr Semenko from edmonton at that time 
Because, yes. Uh, I remember all of that because being a Long Island boy, uh, we got, since we were all hockey players and we played juniors, they would let us come to the Islander game for free. So we got to meet all those guys, you know, the Nystrom's, uh, uh, the Trachies, uh It was, it was, <laughs> it was something else. I could, I'll tell you, I can remember uh, I'd been in juniors for two years at the time. I had done my time in Midland, which was junior B. And I had done a year in major A, which was in Quebec city. So, uh, we got a chance. We came home, and someone said, "Well, that, that's some tickets to the Islander game. They're free. They, you guys, they said we could come, so we went." And I can remember standing at the snack bar and standing next to Clark Gillis. Man, was he big, thick, muscular? And I, and at that time, I'm I still have a year left, and I'm looking at these guys, going, "Man, I got to get big like that in order to stay in that league." <laughs> so I ended up uh, working my way up there. I, like I said, I took the back roads. You and I talked about this before. Uh, I didn't take a direct route to anything. It was like, it was always a, uh, here, give me the car and I'll, I'll ride around the country a little while and I'll be back. All right. So I ended up uh, playing my juniors and uh, I was uh, at that point in time, juniors went up to 20, it was 20, but 21 was supposed to be your uh, cutoff date or cutoff age. And at that point in time, it was 21, but you couldn't turn 21 during the season. So it had to be like your birthday had to fall in June or July and everything was cool. But my birthday fell in February. So my last year juniors, I didn't get to play because uh, I would have done 20 to 21. And that would have been my last junior year. I maybe could have done a little something more and got drafted a little bit higher. But uh, as things fell, no, it didn't work out that way. I got drafted in the last round by Detroit, which I was very happy to be drafted, period. Because there was a lot of guys that played that never even looked looked were never even looked at for being drafted. It didn't matter; they were either too small, too scared, too something that that, that got them off the, off the chart. So uh, I can remember we were playing in Memorial Cup, and there was this kid who kept calling me the N word, and I'm like, "What's with this guy?" You know, I, I was so uh, I couldn't get to him, but I tried a few times, and uh, on that team. You had the um, you had Harold Philiboff, Barry Beck, um, Harold Snaps, uh, and uh, who was the coach for Toronto that just got they got fired a couple years ago? That's a lot of coaches. Uh, Babcock. Babcock. He was on that team as well. So it was uh, it was one of those things that all these guys that went on and out of that New Westminster team, it's a it's a what twenty three man roster, you know you know twenty guys playing three uh, subs. Okay, so. 20 of those guys got drafted off of that team. Off of our team, I'd say 12, 10 to 12 of us got drafted as well. So, and we were all big. At that point in time, when we played the Memorial Cup in Montreal, we were considered the biggest team in all of hockey for juniors, okay? And this is pros and everything. Well, the average height on the New West team was 6'2". Okay, so you know, I had the, the smallest guy they had was 5'10. Everybody else was a six foot or better. And on our team, we had we had a couple of guys that were around the 5'8, five, 5'9, five, but most of us were six foot, 5'10, five, 5'11, five, and all good size, you know, 190 pounds, 200 pounds. You know, in juniors, you're you're a little bit lighter. So once you once I went to pros, like I was saying before, I had to I had to I had to beef myself up a little bit. So I, I went in. At 195 pounds when my first year, when I went to camp, I was all scared that I was going to be too fat or something. I don't know why, but I was able to 
get through that ordeal and I was uh, undisciplined at that point. And that's the main reason why I did not get a shot in the Detroit organization. And that was my own doing. And I mentioned that in the book so that anyone who decides to do something will realize that you must have discipline all the time, especially when you're trying to strive for a better, a better, better job or for excellence. It's uh it's, it all falls into that category. And the thing with sports is it's supposed to teach the discipline, the execution, the heart, and the passion for things. And it's not just hockey, it's all sports. And if we take all of those um, things that we're supposed to be learning from the sports and we superimpose that on everyday life, you know, you, you're going to be successful. There's no way you can't be. We just had, okay, Theo, so- we just had Theo Fleury on the podcast and he was telling us like how, you know, he overcoming adversity and his past. And he took that all on the ice to the point where he would just die on that ice. I mean, where do you find your personal motivation when you were playing? Was it like just from being one of six kids, you know, maybe the racism part, you know? Well, I, I got to definitely say that the racism, racism part gave me a big boost because it was like, OK, you, you're thinking I'm this, you think, well, I'm going to show you that I'm a little bit different. And the thing was that I'd go out and, you know, you want to call me the N-word, you want to call me whatever you want to call me. I'm going to take that energy and use it on one of your players. So I suggest that you be quiet. <laughs> Otherwise, you, all your players are going to be off the ice. So that, that's that's how I handled all of that. You know, and of course, you know, a repetitive thing, years and years of hearing something, eventually it does get under your skin. So uh, it, it, it kind of wrecked me emotionally a little bit. And uh, through writing the book, it was a therapeutic aid. And John, John Gallagher was really helpful when it came to that. You know, him and I did this book. It took us two years to get it together. And uh, he was he was very instrumental. And this, to me, was something that I, I got to get all of this off my chest, which was a, a good thing. You know, once you get you get that poison out of it, you can really start to rebuild everything. And that's that's pretty much what happened. Got that done, got the book published. And then life for me, hockey wise, started again. Okay, so I, I was starting to do them do some uh, some uh, alumni things, some guest appearances, some some guest speaking in, in some some parts, and uh, it was uh, it was one of those things that that it's taken me since we released the book about five years to actually get the recognition that I've gotten today, and uh, thanks to the Sabres organization and the NHL uh, and Toronto Maple Leafs as well. They, they've all at this point gotten behind me and supported me quite a bit. It took uh, the big guys uh, a little bit of time to get behind me, but now they're kind of behind me too. So I got to say, thank you. At least uh, I, I, at one point, no one knew who Val James was. They had no idea. Okay. At now at, at, at least the words out a little bit and it's, it's getting around to the American people where it wasn't before. Okay. So, and a lot of, a lot of, I say that because, this has come up Black History Month for the last few years. And then all of a sudden, this happens. We get the podcast going and there'll be a lot of people going, Black Ice, Val James, where did he come from? Did, when did he play? How, how come we missed him? How did we miss him? You know, so all these questions come up and, and now everyone's starting to realize that we do have an American player that, that did play in the, in the, um, the National League, uh, our, a Black player. So that that is a, a good thing. You know, and, and a lot of people are really stunned by it, you know, and here we are, what, 30 years later, 40? Yeah, more closer to 40, yeah. 
You know what's funny, Val, is it's purely coincidental that you're on during Black History Month. Earl and I gave a list of people we wanted to talk to on the podcast to our uh, our friend Ashley, and she reached out, and it just happens to fall in Black History Month, so I can't think of the perfect guy, the perfect story. Everything about it's perfect, so this this was not planned. We just wanted to talk to people we liked. Well, thank you for liking me, and I, you know, I like being on the show. I like talking ass Earl. <laughs> we talked up the storm the oh, last yeah. time. When did you guys oh, no, talk, I mean, I, Earl, when did you guys well, talk? Well, I mean, uh, we've talked over the years because my friend John, uh, like Val said, uh, authored the book or co-authored with Val. And yes. uh, John's a, uh, well, I don't want to say what he does because he has a pretty uh, secretive job, but he's exactly. uh, a big hockey fan. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned Barry Beck. I speak with him often uh, on online and he's a big fan of yours and he told me about that teammate who uh, was calling you that word and uh, not to paint every player you played against in a negative light, but even Barry said they talked to the teammate and said, shut the F up. Uh, yeah, they did. Know, there's no room I can, for I can, You know what? He was him and, and Harold were great because I can remember I, and it was towards the end of the game. I'd had enough. We were losing the game. So this guy did it again. And then after he did it, he ran to the bench and jumped between Barry Beck and Harold Philippoff. And I'm looking at, I know these guys, you know, six, seven, six, six, and, uh, you know, 230, 250 pounds. And it's like, you know what? That's not going to stop. Me. So I skated right up to the, to the bench. I looked at both of them. I go, look, I go, I want that guy sitting in between you. I go, but if I got to go through the two of you to get to him, I will. And they kind of gave it the, <laughs> one, one, of, one of those saying, I've got to go, I guess that's, I guess that's my cue. So I leaned in. I'm like, well, you know what? If you come back out in this ice again, I'm going to rip you apart. But they were, they, they had my back. And, and for an, an opposing team who's never seen you before in your life, to have your back like that, that's respect. And I respected them and honored them for what they did that, that night. Uh, did you ever, um, I, I know most fighters are friends off the ice and, you know, they'll go out for a beer after the game. Uh, I know you had a very uh, amazing feud with the ex uh, minor league coach of the Kings, Mike Stuthers. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, did you ever not like who you were fighting? I mean, like when you look back, like a John Cordick or. Uh, you know, no, there was really nobody that I didn't like. There was a couple of guys that I didn't like their antics. Okay. Right. So, uh, um, they were guys that fell away to the side and they were, uh, to, to say the least, they were goons. Okay. And I can remember that, uh, they had no qualms about hurting people, none whatsoever. So I, I ended up fighting with them. I won't mention their names. I can't kind of at a, a loss right now. So <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, I can't say that there was, wait a minute, maybe there was one guy. That's right. He played for Baltimore, and uh, I hated Bennett Wolf. I don't know if you heard that name before, <laughs> but oh, him and I used to legend. go all the time. It wasn't that I hated him. I hated him. I just hated him on the ice. He was a really good guy, though. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, in the era of like a Bennett Wolf, Craig Cox. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, people of that era. Um, so remember Lance think- Bro. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, so uh, I was, was a Barry Beck fan. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it, well, you had some coaches. I want to get into this. Uh, we don't want to take up too much. I could talk to you for 10 hours, but. Uh, <laughs> well, I can you, talk for that you, long, too. <laughs> oh, great. Chad, uh, get the batteries. Uh, <laughs> you played for some coaches that were, I guess you'd say, pro fighting in uh, uh, John Brophy, the legendary uh, coach, mm-hmm. and uh, Mike Keenan. Who did you enjoy playing with uh, four more between those two? Believe it or not, John Brophy. Mike, I, I like, I love playing for Mike. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I had a long history with John Brophy. Like I'd known Mr. Brophy since I was about nine, ten years old. Okay, like he was, he played for the Long Island Ducks. You remember that team? A lot of people don't. Yes. They were an Eastern Hockey League team. For those of you that that have never heard of them, and they were based out of the uh, Comac Long Island Arena. But uh, John was very instrumental in teaching us the ins and outs of, of hockey because at that time our, our organization was really young and we were just pretty much starting out. I think when I got into the, the junior league for our, our area, they'd only been going like two or three years, but we had good hockey players, but that's only good hockey players because we had good teachers. You know, we had the likes of uh, Buzz Deschamps, uh, John Brophy, uh, Sam Gregory, Norm Ryder, uh, and a bunch of other guys that never really made it out that uh, that didn't get to play in the pros the way they would like to, but were good hockey players in their own rights. And we had all of these guys that had hung around the island and married girls from the island. So they figured that this was their way of giving back to the sport, what the sport had given to them. And I, I have to thank all of those guys and all of the, the McGuigans and the Skidmores and the Lynches that, that were there for us at the time, the Doniacos. That and Mr. Donnie ran the whole league, uh, the whole system for our our organization. So, and that was like from from um, Pee Wee right up to junior level. And at that time, it was only the Met League because we didn't have a junior B or a major A in in the states at the time. If you wanted to be a hockey player, you had to try and get your skills up good enough so that you go to Canada and try and make a team and then learn all the the intricacies of the sport there. And then eventually our hockey program in the States picked up and our, we really didn't have a good program until 1979, 1978 is when we really started coming around. But that was with a lot of help from Canadian coaches and things like that. So in 1980, we won the gold medal for our country. You remember the, the, the miracle on ice? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. At, I, if I hadn't been playing, if I hadn't been playing in Erie at the time and getting paid, I would have had a shot at, at trying out for that team. But at that point in time, when it came to Olympic competition, anyone who had been paid money to play the sport, any sport, didn't matter whether it was hockey, basketball, football, was eliminated from competing in that sport and in that tournament because that was supposed to be an amateur tournament. And the rules keep changing. And uh, after we had after we had won the gold medal. I was pissed off that I didn't get a chance to even try out for the team that maybe I could have been swinging a gold medal around my neck. Okay. Then uh, they changed the rule. It was like, okay, now everybody can play. And it was like, what? What do you mean everybody can play? No, I can't play. It's too late. But uh, I think all in all, I don't know what that would, that probably wouldn't have done much for me because I was already set and running down a line that I, I was already supposed to go down. So from there, at that point in time, I can remember that I was uh, just getting ready to go to camp for uh, 
to try out for a spot on in the Buffalo uh, Sabres organization. You know, I would have taken anything at that time. I, you know, I would have went to uh, the, and, and at that time there was what the International League, the American Hockey League, and the National League. So there weren't a whole lot of leagues for a whole lot of players to play in. Like today, players, you can go, you know, there's so many teams. And you got to remember, that's what, 30 NHL teams? So, so there's over 30 NHL teams, which makes over 30 American League teams. And then also the league that's just under that, that also makes a place for, for those for players that are not quite ready for the American League, but will be a place to play and kind of get their feet wet and get their head into the game and what it's going to be like. Like the transitions between the uh, leagues, if you go from juniors, we'll start at juniors. It's a it's a, a one-step difference from junior B to junior A, and we're talking speed-wise, and from junior A to, say, semi-pro, which would have been the International League at that time. Uh, it's another step up in speed. So, and it's not that you are or bad or anything. It's just you have to learn how to skate and how to keep up with the flow of, of traffic, if you want to put it like that. And um, even going from international to American league, like I, we were playing, we were considered semi-pro when I played in area. And so we went, I went from there to camp in uh, for Buffalo, which was held in Lake Placid, which was uh, an Olympic size arena, which I'd never skated in, which was like, it seemed like it took two days to go from one end to the other. And uh, I can remember the drills were just killing. And at that time, as I was saying to you before, I had to get big in that. I had uh, worked out all summer. I, I left I left uh, Erie and I was at, at uh, 195 pounds. I showed up at camp the next the next fall at 216 pounds, solid muscle. I, I, I ate weights all summer, ran a little bit. Did, I got on the ice, but, you know, it's still – a big difference. I just going out playing rec hockey to get into super organized hockey. So it took me a couple of days to kind of get into the groove of things. And we were, we're doing laps and we're running around Lake Placid or, or it's not Lake Placid. What the heck was the name of that? That was the one with the, with the cow movie. <laughs> Remember that movie that they, they had in Lake right. Placid with the big cow that got eaten by the, by the big alligator that was eating the cows. <laughs> yeah. talking about Lake, Lake, Lake Placid in Florida. No Lake Placid, New York. Oh, there's Lake Placid down here in Florida. I performed there a couple of weeks ago. Oh, did you really? <laughs> yeah. How was it? It was good because it's the middle of nowhere. So they were excited. People actually came there. So they're like, this is fun. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. that looks like that'll be on your, your venue for the next few years. There it is. They Speaking nice. of, I do want to ask this real quick. And I don't mean to interrupt because uh, I know Earl has real questions, but I actually have an Why huh. is not Black Ice... The Val James story. Why has this not been optioned as a movie script? Earl, you're in Hollywood right now as we speak. You're in the thick of it. You're on a cartoon on HBO Max. How do we make this a movie? Let's make some money. Yeah. Well, well I, I do some... think. Go ahead, Earl. Oh, no, go ahead, Val. No, I, I was just going to well, say I had well, a I think... approach, but uh, I don't know if it's going to be a movie. Maybe it's, it's this is all still in the works or not. I would rather see a movie so that uh, we can actually get into things and maybe uh, turn this book into something that's going to be helpful to everybody. Now, as a book in, its, in itself, there's so many lessons in there to learn, you know, aside from uh, getting past the racism and all that. And as Earl was saying earlier, the, the hockey part of the book is just like filler. It's more of a story for everyone to learn something, to, to, to realize that, 
you know, you're going to force, you're going to, you're going to face anim animosity in your life and you have to figure a way to get around it, you know, besides hurting people, you know, you have to deal with it. And, and it, sometimes you have to think outside the box and that usually will work for you if you do it right. Well, I'm thinking because of the climate as of today and everything we've been going through the past couple of years, I think right now your story alone is something that I could see on the big screen. I mean, I'm just, just from an outsider's perspective, I think that would be a hell of a movie and a great story to tell. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> I <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, like, like I said, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's like uh, not too many directors, I guess, and producers are interested in that. And at the time when things were going on, it was that, the subject of racism was just too hot. Yeah. Okay. You had all that stuff happening down South and you can't, you don't want to force feed a, a, a force feed people, a racism story when they've already had so much racism shoved up their butt at that point that they're just going to, it's just going to be a flop. So you, and it's, it's all a timing thing as well. And Earl can tell you that too. You know, you have to pick your spots when you're going to release stuff like that. Like, you know, when they release roots, it's, uh, that was another one of those things that was really controversial, but they released it at a time when no one had really anything to do and it wasn't much going on race race wise. So it was, people got interested and, and, and stuck it out. That's how LeVar Burton got his start, you know? So, and then he, where did he end up? Star Trek, the next generation for years and years and years. Okay. And Sesame street. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that movies move people and they tell a story, but they also expose the people that are supposed to be portrayed and, and the light that they want to be portrayed in, I guess you could put it. So if we're, we're going to cast your movie right now, who plays a young Val James? What actor? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, that's uh, Who's going to play a young Val James? Idris Let's Alba. See. Idris Alba can't skate. <laughs> Listen to her. <laughs> well, let me see. Special now. effects. See, uh, Michael B. Ja uh, Michael B. Um, um, Jordan? Um, Jordan. You know what? I was just looking Jordan, at it. Michael I was, B. Jordan. Michael B. No. Jordan. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's um, enough work. You know, let's see. Uh, I was looking. Let me see. I was checking out Mark Frazier. And uh, He's a that's they're saying who's going to play me, right? So, well, you got to have someone who's going to skate, right? At, at some point in the movie. Michael so uh, I don't know. I guess yeah. Uh, Idris Alba would be all right if he could <laughs> skate. Old Val. Uh, yeah, but Earl, uh, who, who, he would play old Val. Listen to him. We got the peanut gallery. Earl, who now. are you gonna cast? Uh, I'll see. play John Brophy. <laughs> you play John Brophy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd be all right, huh? Yeah, Oh man, I don't know. Who do you think, Earl? I mean, honestly, I I have a. Uh, like if you know if my comedy career doesn't work out and uh i think most people would <laughs> might hope that happens but uh i i fancy myself as a casting director a young val james i could see um uh, maybe denzel washington uh of course he'll have to take some he'll have to some take some steroids lessons. to look like you did but uh, i don't know yeah yeah that well, would be nice huh well, I think it's still a, a story that needs to be told because I, I don't think, uh, you know, sadly, there is still some racism uh, that happens. I know a few years ago when Donald Brashear went to play in that league in Quebec uh, that was uh, for retired players and, and maybe players winding down, you know, he was called the N-word on ice. Uh, 
So I do think the story still needs to show um, that side of that it's it's not fixed completely. Um, but no, and, I, I and you're right; it does have to be told. But uh, if we're thinking about Quebecers and and this racism thing, uh, they the Quebecers they they don't care; they, they'll go after anybody. Okay, I lived there for <laughs> two years. I know what I know what Quebec people are like. Now they're going to bust your balls a lot. But then if you stand up for yourself, then they're going to have some respect for you. Okay. And then all that stuff stops. Okay. Like I, I can remember being in going to Chicoutimi and going to, uh, to uh, Trois-Rivières, Three Rivers. And uh, man, the, the fans were brutal. We were sitting in Sha and Shawinigan and it was all chain link fence. And they had like a, 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 uh, a baseball backstop over us. And we're coming out and we're, we're looking at the bench and we're going, oh, what the hell's with that for? So now we, 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 we get the game going and we're sitting there and all of a sudden the chain starts raining down on us. So people are throwing quarters and throwing everything. I picked up $2.50 that night. You know, so that was, that was worth that. That was worth the beer back then. Right? So the, that was uh so that was pretty, you know, lit cigarettes the whole night. That's when they smoked in rings too. So it was like, you, they'd be smoking, you'd be gagging, they'd be, they'd be shooting lit cigarettes at you, change, you know, I, I even had nuts and bolts thrown at me at one point. So not not from up there though. This that's going into the pro leagues. Yeah, but uh, uh, Quebecers are very lively people and passionate. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're black, green, orange. They're gonna figure something out to call you. All right, and then then once you you call them on a little bit and and show them that you're not gonna take it, well now they back off. Okay, which is what anyone does, and uh, they just want to see if you got any nuts. Is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I guess it still makes me sad that, you know, uh, recently, a couple of years ago, I know uh, when Wayne Simmons was on a breakaway and I believe it was in Montreal and I'm not trying yep. to paint all of Quebec as racist, but uh, you know, someone threw a banana uh, yep. a bunch. and uh, you know, I know my friend uh, Roger Maxwell, who uh, had a cup of coffee with Boston and, and played primarily in the minor leagues. He said, uh, I think when he was with the Alexandria Warthogs of the ECHL, uh, yeah, they were they were playing. I think like Shreveport or something, and and the fans put a basketball net behind the goalie net, and, and it's just like this is it's not forty years ago. This is five, 10 yeah, years this is ago. a couple of years ago, exactly. Well, man, you know what? Let me see. So, I've seen octopuses, I've seen bananas, I've seen fish, I've seen stuffed monkeys, I've seen. Um, uh, watermelons, uh, anything you can think of. I've seen seen pretty much all of it. And uh, this was before people were actually recording this and keeping track of what was going on. And I, everyone thinks that everything's so bad now, but you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg and only because of social media and, and cell phones. Now, if we had cell phones back in the 80s, forget it. You know, I can remember... <laughs> I, I can remember telling uh, telling stories to people, and they'd look at me, and go, "No way that happened. You're you're making that all up." So now, at, at least with everything that's happening and with everyone's filming, what I'm what I said then has some credibility. Sure. Uh, when you uh, played your first game for the Buffalo Sabers, I'm curious about two things. One, there was another African American player on the team, Tony McKegney. Yes. Uh, did he give you advice of like, hey? Uh, as a fellow African-American, this is what you should expect at the NHL level. You will get razzed by fans, players. 
Not really, because like Tony was had been in the league a few years at that point, and uh, all the brass that he had gotten, so it was it was pretty much uh, over for him. Right. Uh, when I came in, though, that was a whole different story because him and I had conflicting hockey styles. He was goal scorer, skater. I was a skater, but I didn't score goals, but I fought. Okay, so when you go out and beat up somebody's favorite fighter, well, there's going to be some repercussions and, and it's either it's going to be come out in racism or stuff being thrown on the ice. Uh, but it, some it's going to come out somehow. And, and that uh, gets can, me. I, OK, and I was going to say that I can remember going to Boston and I hate to, to, to do this again to Boston, but uh, Boston but but but. Uh, I can I, I was on the ice and I could hear little mummers, not really because the National Hockey League, so people try and curb themselves a little bit. But after the game, we were sitting out in, the, in our chartered bus waiting to go back to get to get back on the plane and come back to Buffalo. And uh, they opened the side doors after the bus was loaded and everybody come pouring out and they realized it was uh, the Sabres bus. OK, so first thing people start saying is send the, the, the N word out. Okay, we want him. Send him out here. I can remember that happening. They were shaking the bus, and they 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 uh, threw threw beer bottle at the windshield, spiderweb that. It was uh, one of them scary times. I was more afraid of, of the players that were on the bus than I was for myself because I know that if something happened, they'd, they'd be helping me out and all that. I didn't want anything to happen to them because I, they were good guys, and and it, at, up to that point, they'd had my back everywhere. You know, something happened. And so on every team I pretty much played for, we had it like I had it like that. I only had a couple of players on a couple of teams that uh, were a little iffy, if you know what I mean. And, right. But mostly supporters. And the thing is that when you get people like that, as long as you show them that you've got a big heart and that you're you're there for the team and all that, all that other bullshit just gets thrown to the side. Right. You know, they, they have to learn to live with. I guess it's one of those things where there's a lot of things we have to learn to live with when we grow up. And, you know, if everyone just looked at it as being nice to somebody, treating them the way you want to be treated. I know that's an old cliche. It's always been said. It's, it's, it makes life a whole lot easier. And it, life would be simpler if people would do that. And the thing is that it's, it's an ignorance factor, I think, that, that's keeping us from making that next step the way we should go. Uh, if you if you understand a race, you understand what irks them, and you understand what turns them on. Well, now you can tap dance around all those those uh, sore spots, and maybe help that person, whatever color they may be, deal with the situations that are being thrown at. Them. And if everyone thought that way, we wouldn't have any problems. And and then, like I said before, it's it's a it's an understanding thing. And uh, the uh, the like I was saying earlier. When people have to give something up, they were very reluctant to do so. And they're going to resist with all their heart. They've been resisting this thing since, what, 1860? <laughs> okay, so uh, here we are. And we're still, go we're still going at it. So, And the thing is that it's getting better now. But there still are a lot of things that, that we can do as a people that will improve things. And, and until we start doing these things, I don't really think that we can make that technological jump and make all those things that everybody wants to, to, to uh, happen. You know, what do we want? We want 
we want we want we want to live in houses that are that are so that are totally powered on their own where you don't have to pay hydro you don't have to pay water and all this kind of thing and we can do that if we want to people just don't want to do it right now no look at this this pandemic look look what it's look what it shut down but yet everything keeps functioning it's not functioning at the level that it should but it's still going well absolutely and uh the, the, I'll move it to a funner subject. Uh, yeah, but it, it goes to uh, your game in Buffalo uh, when you uh, fought Terry O'Reilly. Uh, does you know? I asked you if Tony McKegney gave you advice. Does uh, you had some very tough teammates, uh, specifically uh, Larry Playfair? Does Larry Playfair, Steve Dykstra, Mike Foligno come up to you before that game and go, "Hey, you're probably going to have to fight Terry O'Reilly." This because there was no YouTube back then, so no, you had well, to go ahead. pretty much re rely on your teammates for a scouting, I guess, on the other players. Right. Well, you know the thing too is that you know you watch hockey games and that too at the time, so I already knew who all the tough guys were. I knew that that Terry O'Reilly was leading the pack. Uh, Larry, I think at that time Larry Robinson was playing for him too. If I'm not mistaken. He gotten he'd gotten traded from Montreal to them. Uh, anyways, so. Uh, I, I knew the Terry O'Reilly and it was the Crowder brothers. There was a couple other other guys in there, but they weren't they weren't heavyweights, so I didn't have to worry about them too much. I had to worry about the middleweights and the heavyweights. And those were the three guys in, in, in question. So I remember the first game in, in Boston, the game that we were talking about earlier, I ended up fighting one of the Crowder brothers. I'm not sure if it was Keith or the other one, but it was one of them. And I cleaned them out pretty good. And uh, so the fans were pretty pissed off about that. And I can remember going back out in the ice after my, my penalty was up and I get on the ice and all of a sudden the other twin comes out and I'm, I'm looking at him going, so I guess uh, I thought it was deja vu all over again. You and I talked about uh, the Cornwall thing with the Barden twins. Remember that? Earl? Yes. Okay. So I, here yes, I am going, to, going deja vu, deja vu, right? So it was the same pretty much thing. I said to the guy, well, look, if you're out here to avenge your brother, let's get this over with quick. I don't feel like skating around getting tired. And it was like, no, I don't want to fight with you, right? I'm not here out here to fight with you. I'm out here to just, just do what I have to do. So uh, the game went on. The ship was okay. Nothing happened. Got, I sat on the bench after that. And, uh, game ended. So then the next game, we're in Buffalo, and that's when I ended up fighting Terry. And that was one of those things. I knew it was coming because after I beat <laughs> beat up the Crowder brother, I know well. I know Terry will be coming after me next time. So like once he was on the injury list, on injury reserves at that point, uh, he was just coming off an injury. I can't. I don't know what it was, but they said it was an injury. So uh, in Buffalo, I can remember we uh, lined up, and we were in our end, and we we're off to the right hand side of the goaltender. So. Uh, at that point, my job as a left winger is to go out and try and, and make sure that that right, that left-handed shot for the uh, defense doesn't get a shot off at net or doesn't get the puck. So I stepped back. And, you know, I, I don't know if anyone's who, everyone that's played hockey knows that when you're in your own end of the ice, you know, you've got defensemen at the face-off and you've got a winger on their team at the face-off and the winger from our team lines up behind both those guys or depends on what you two, what you guys got going on. You may switch around. Okay, so I was on the outside looking to go straight out to the to the left point. Um, so I took a step back. Terry was uh, like standing right in front of me. He was like facing me. He wasn't in hockey form. Okay, so I'm like, okay. So I 
I took a step and for me, it would have been to the left. For him, it would have been to the right. So I took a step to the left, give myself a clear shot at the defenseman. He took a step to the right, which put him right back in front of me. Okay, so I took another step to the left, which put me out. By the time we got done, we were almost standing in the middle of the, well, close to the inside, the other face-off circle on the other side. So puck drop, I, I, I beeline out to the uh, defenseman. He's right in front of me. I'm going to go right through him, right? No, he goes to, 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 to stop me with the stick. So I, with, I threw the stick up, and it was like a cross-check move, right? So our sticks hit, and it was like a cross, and we hit. And right there, the, the, the gloves dropped. It wasn't like we asked anybody or I said, let's go. It was like, okay, we know we got to go. This is what everybody expects. Let's give them what they want. And so we went, and I was fortunate enough to win that one. Okay, so – and then that the, was a bad night for Terry because, oh, man, period later, he, he was messing up again, and Larry, Larry tuned him. So Larry Playfair. So it was like, oh, my gosh. What a bad night, but you know what? True warrior, true competitor, biggest heart in the world, wonderful man. And I say hi, Terry. Thanks for for the memories. You know, he's like, uh, he's a. I hope uh, he's listening. Me, uh, I hope he's listening. No, uh, yeah, but I'm sure the world will get back to him. He's got friends. Okay, so I don't. I don't think he. I don't think Go he's going to thank you for the memories. I don't <laughs> no, think he's well, going to thank you for the memories. Well, we look at each other like this. It, yeah, Good we job. thank each other. It's a job. You know, we know we got to do it, and we need each other. Okay? If he wasn't there, I would never have been called up. Okay? Yeah. I got to look at it like that. There you go. Okay. And who knows? if, if it, I may never have even been in the organization if there wasn't <laughs> any fighting around, right? But it, it worked out, no. and uh, – I was able to to get my feet wet more or less in the National League. And, and at that point, I wasn't thinking about it at that time, but it ended up being me making history by uh, by stepping out in the ice as, as a black player, American player in the National Hockey League. Let me ask so, you this. Where are you living these days? How's post-life and, like, how's that all? Where are you at? I'm up in uh, Niagara Falls, Ontario. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it's uh, my wife's from here. Well, she actually was born in Port Coburn, which is about a half an hour ride from here. And uh, we went down to the States. We, we wanted, I wanted to stay in the States. I had a pretty good job down there after hockey. I was doing things doing uh, things for uh, 9X, you know, like uh, on the lines and that. And I had just got my three months in, so I was I, they, they, they kept me. So things were going good. So uh, And we were going to start on her green card to get her the green card. But at that point in time, and it's probably the same right now is that you had to wait a year and that year wait time had to be done in the States, you know, and if a death occurred in the family, they weren't allowed to leave. You had to get special permission for that. And they could either say yes or no. And, and the stipulation was, if you left, you would have to start the ordeal all over again. Mm. Okay. So, so it was like, uh, uh, my wife's father ended up dying, so we had to leave. So the thing was that this, I decided at that point, well, you know what? I, I can get a job up there. I'm, I'm not worried about that. Okay, I can, I can find something to do. Like, my, my, like, like I'd been up in Canada pretty much my whole life at that time anyways, except for my pro career, which was in the States a little bit. You know, I ended up at the end being back in Toronto, which is in Canada, right? So... It was uh, one of those things, uh, and it, uh, what I liked about it uh, and coming back here, which I didn't really 
pay too much attention to at the time was uh, man, they got great medical up here. It's it's like you know, you go to the doctor, it's yeah. all paid for. It's like you know, you know, how can you beat that? You know, and it's like the thing is that they take a little bit of money off everybody's check each each week and and put put it towards the fund, right? And and it's it's one of those things that uh, is just great. Yeah, I you wanted know, to marry my friend's a comic and she's Canadian. She got deported, and I was going to marry her so she can get into the states and I can get medical. Like we had a whole thing going and it never happened. Yeah, <laughs> what happened? I she ended up getting the green card so that we called the marriage off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I might have pursued that just so I could get double, double, double duty going, right? Well, you got to go pick up the book, Black Ice. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Indigo. You can get it on Audible, Barnes & Noble, everywhere you get books. Or you can go to Earl's house in West Hollywood, and he'll give you his copy. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you hear that, Earl? <laughs> well, I, I won't give you my autographed uh, copy, but I will do a live read of it. It will take about six hours, and uh, we'll... We'll watch all of Val's fights on YouTube from uh, Shane Sherla to Gary Rissling to uh, Terry O'Reilly. And, uh, you know, Val, I, I just uh, want to say thank you so much for um, spending time with me and Chad. Uh, I always love exposing Chad to some of my favorite hockey players. And uh, it, it's your book and, and your story is really, uh, you know, I'm trying not to cry because it, it your story has really affected me and um, you've paved the way from uh, everyone from Peter Worrell to Graham Townsend to, you know, the kid, the Kings drafted this year at number yep. two overall Quentin Byfield. So uh, just thank you so much for really sharing a story that needed to be told a long, long time ago. And uh, I hope the NHL treats you better and uh, your story deserves to be heard. Val, are you in social media? Can we follow yes. you? Yes, at Valmore James. Okay. Huh? On Twitter, at Valmore underscore James. Yeah. And it's a, it's a locked account, so as soon as you ask for an in, an, a request, I'll let you in. Okay. Sorry to interrupt there, Earl, so go ahead. Oh, no, I just um, – I have to go to the dentist right now for some surgery. That's the only reason. Uh, we won't get into – that's another podcast. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Before you I, go – Right now. Before you go, oh, if go you, you know, anytime you guys want me to come on, just, you know, give me a, give me a shout. Sounds good to me. Okay, how, how's two hours? How's two hours sound? What are you doing well, two that, That's kind of a quick <laughs> shout, really. <laughs> Two-hour turnaround. <laughs> We'll chop it no, up. I really, I really enjoy well, you it. You know, it's, 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 it's nice to, to reminisce. And it's, and like I was going to say to Earl earlier, the NHL has been a little better. Earl, actually, they, they, they featured me in the, uh, the, the NHL black history truck last year in Toronto yeah, before and before the pandemic hit. So it was, uh, it was, it was a pretty good time. You know, uh, Toronto had me doing a couple of things while I was up there. So it was, uh, it was one of those experiences that, that uh, we were supposed to go back this year, but with the pandemic and that, I guess we won't be going anywhere for a while. <laughs> you know, like uh, I've, I've got to, uh, I'm going to be doing a, uh, a podcast on Monday with the, with the Amherst and then probably Tuesday or Wednesday with the Sabres. Uh, we're going to go over 
all of these things that they've done over the last year. I don't know if you they've put out a T-shirt and all of that. And I saw the the video that they. I don't know if you saw the video or not that they they put together this year on the Saber site. Earl might have saw it. He's all, he's always on top of those kind of things. But it's it was oh, one yeah, of those I'm, things. I'm, I'm always looking for videos on you, Val, because, uh, you know, you're, I think your fight with Shane Churla in 86 looks like it was uh, filmed on a viewfinder. <laughs> Probably was, really. <laughs> you know how that is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell uh, you what, it, um, on behalf of myself, Earl, and Golden Artist Entertainment, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on. Like I said before, if you want me to come back, just let me know. All right. I'll be back. Ladies oh, and gentlemen, have some more stories. We definitely will. Ladies and we'll gentlemen, have you on uh, before the end of the. Yeah, we'll have you on before the end of the month, maybe, and uh, we'll we'll uh, now that we covered the the unfortunate racism, maybe we'll get into the the fights, which is a little more fun to talk about, and yeah, how you beat up Gary Wrestling and and oh, stuff man. like that. The so Ristling, thank you again, Val. Oh, he, he was, <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll save that for Let's then. Tease gonna, we'll, Let's tease we'll have it. A good laugh. All right. And, uh, thanks thank so you to your wife. Okay. Yes. Thanks, Earl. Thank you. <laughs> thank you too, Chad. Thank yeah. you guys for having me on. I really enjoyed myself and hopefully it was an entertaining segment for everyone who's listening. It was fantastic. And please there follow was. him on social media, buy his book. And that's a wrap guys. Leave a five-star review on the iTunes and we will see you very soon. Good night.